Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a fertilizer salesman. And I am procrastination. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Welcome to episode 115, Spring Stampede 1994. Locked horns. Bullish tempers. Let, let the stampede, stampede begin. begin. Are you guys ready to let the stampede begin? I'm rock all over me. Well, you know, I, I waited long enough to let the stampede begin that I'm very excited to... Uh... Find out what happened on the show. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. but Shane got um, peacocked, if you will. Yes. <laughs> Let's just say Shane got vaccined and then got very sleepy for uh, a couple days and decided that I was going to wait until the very last, literal last second before the uh, WWE Network stopped. And at 12.05 a.m., April 4th, it shut off on me, like, 45 seconds into it, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I made it a full And even if you wanted to, you know, get you a, a Peacock login... Don't have it yet. It's not on there. Yeah. So, maybe maybe it'll be on by the time this rest, this episode drops, but, um, you know. If anything, I'll at least be able to watch it, hopefully, by my birthday in August. So. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I guess we should just throw it out there. Even with the move to Peacock, we are still going to be able to cover shows. Yes. Don't you worry. We have found everything that we yeah. need up until the point that hopefully Peacock will have everything that we... And if we're lucky, we'll get a quick turnaround. We'll get some, our WCWs and ECWs back. Exactly. Because so. there's some WCW up. It's just like, well, it's not Spring Stampede. Yeah. Not all, it's not all there yet. They're slowly but surely trying to get stuff on there, but... We're moving forward. We're not going to miss a week. We'll still be here for you every week. Mm-hmm. But Spring Stampede was the inaugural stampede produced by WCW. It would take place on April 17th, 1994 from the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois, with an attendance of 12,200 people. Uh, what? What? That's almost... That's a Double. that's a that's a WWF house at this point. We're we're up there. We're in the we're in the we're in the big leagues. Yeah, that's double basically a good a good pay per view. Last one was seven, which is like a little high for WCW at this point in time. We're only sitting at the fives and six. We're rocking twelve here. Twelve two. They say Chicago is a wrestling town. Uh, it is. I mean, these you as watch, watching the show, you know the crowd. You know this crowd is smart. You know, when a crowd chants for Muda, instead of chanting USA, you're in the right fucking town. <laughs> but speaking of being in the right fucking town, <laughs> Chicago, and there's tons of good stuff in Chicago. That there is. Well, what did you decide to bring us this time, Shano? Well, well, well. Since, you know, I, I had to make up for my error in uh, watching stuff. I decided to go a little above and beyond with our normal uh, food outing. Typically, I will try and 
find something that I can order or yeah, whatever takes as little po little work as possible to, to do that still tastes good. And today I just decided to go all out and make some uh, Chicago style Italian beef sandwiches. I went and bought a uh, chuck roast, threw it in the slow cooker with some dry Italian dressing packet, some giardinera, the pickled spicy vegetables, uh, some banana peppers, a little beef stock, and then just let it Low and slow, yeah. baby. Low and slow for a good 10 to 12 hours until it just fell apart with the uh, the touch of my little tongs. Served it up on a little hoagie bun here with some provolone cheese. It is pretty damn good. I've never made these before. I was no. worried that they were going to be a little too hot for Matt because all I could find was hot stuff to put in it. But the low and slow cooking combined with the uh, creamy provolone there, I think, Mellowed things out enough Absolutely. for him to where he didn't melt away. I'm and still here and I'm not sweating. No, yeah, you you nailed it, sir. And you know, lucky for you, you know, you have these sandwiches all, all week. kinds of shit home with me. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but I'm gonna take a bite because uh, yeah, I've been having to smell this stuff cook all day long. Yeah, for some reason I thought we were doing like Chicago dogs or something, but the man popped out with the uh, Italian beef sub mm -hmm. subwich. Is there a name for the sandwich? Just a hot Italian beef. Yep. Hot town beef sandwich. Well, while they're chomping away on those sandwiches, something that would happen right around the same time as Spring Stampede, all that would premiere on Nickelodeon a couple days later, which would give us Keenan Thompson, Kel Mitchell, and in later seasons, Amanda Bynes and Nick Cannon. And Lori Beth Dimberg. Yeah, it's true. Lori Beth. I'm sorry. I'm a Dimberg stan. I that was my favorite segment. Love, was the what I was the, the segment where she was at the table and said stuff? I thought that was very funny as a kid. I was a Nickelodeon uh, kid. Shane was too old was for too this. Old. Uh, I was a big all that fan. They also had like it was you know SNL for kids, but yeah, they had like um, TLC or Boys to Men. People, yeah, typically more like R and B stuff on there. But R and B was also huge at this point in time yeah. on the radio in America. So. Cool show. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And fun fact, famous, well, not as famous as his uh, writing partner, but famous uh, stand-up comedian and the co-writer of The Chappelle Show, Neil Brennan, wrote for All That. He didn't, He. I don't think he was on the first season or whatever, but he did write on uh, All That. Gabriel Iglesias was also on the show at one point. Oh, really? Oh, Fluffy? Is that mm -hmm. what they call him? Okay. Uh, what was the thing where Keenan Thompson did the... Like a Italian guy, what was his name? Uh, I'm not real sure. I can't remember. Uh, Neil Brennan told a story once where he pitched an idea called like it was like Paco Delicious, and it was like he was gonna do like a, a, a Hispanic thing where the guy's name was Paco Delicious, and they're like, oh, like that's too hot for for a kids show. But then somebody else stole the idea before he was on the show because he like pitched it before he got the job, and they swapped it to like an like. Italian or French thing that Keenan Thompson did because they're like, oh, well, we can make fun of the French, but we can't do Paco Delicious. <laughs> and that's a story I heard him uh, recently tell that I thought was very funny. And Keenan Thompson, who he's friends with now, um, said that they stole that shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it had a lot of big stars that came from that show. Keenan Thompson, the longest running SNL guy. Yep. Yep. Amanda Bynes went a little bit crazy. Nick Cannon. Mary went a little crazy. Carey. The and Good then, Burger. 
I love Good Burger. Pro Good Burger. Say, no Kel bad disappeared beer. after Good Burger, I think. He's uh, come back. So. Oh, has he? Uh, I think they're redoing all that. Are and they? I think he's come back as like one of the adult cast members. Oh, really? Uh, did Was Danny Tamborelli on there for a little bit? Don't remember. I feel like he was. I'm a huge Pete and Pete fan. Oh, okay. Um, it's my, one of my favorite shows of all time. You've mentioned. I know. I'll never keep it up. <laughs> I want everybody to watch Pete and Pete twice. Did you go and get one of those weird little tattoos? No, I do have a friend who has that tattoo on her arm. <laughs> Petunia. Is that what it is? That's the name of the of the girl's tattoo. Or of the of Danny Tamborelli's tattoo on his arm as he's a child with a tattoo. They don't know where he got it. What shows did you like on Nickelodeon, Shane? I was a uh, Hey Dude. Oh, uh, yeah. Salute Your Shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Can't Do That on Television. Which yes. are all on Paramount Plus. Oh, nice. Okay. We're not... We're not... No. We've just with the peacock I'll, I'll, change, I'll we've been talking them. about them. Okay. We've been talking about like streaming services and like what's on what because the peacock thing. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I need the network. And I was like, well, what am I gonna get in addition to this? So you get to watch The Office and so much more. No, I'm not doing that's it. basically how they sell that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's the cool. Office app now that it's off of Netflix. Yeah, you can watch little 30 second news break things that are just little news flashes mm. that pop up on your screen. Well, let me know if Pete and Pete's on Peacock. Well, I guess it wouldn't be. It'd be on Paramount because it's Nickelodeon. Anyway, with all of that out of the way, shall nice. we? Shall we stampede? <laughs> yes. We Spring into the stampede, huh? Mm-hmm. I got locked horns and a bullish temper, and I am ready to let the stampede begin. We highlight videos of competitors run with narration talking about their matches. Before going to Mean Gene Okerlund, who welcomes us to the show from the stage. Uh, we get the wood the wood stamp. The wood stamp, like, CGI or, like, you know, graphics, which I really enjoyed. Mean Gene then introduces Aaron Neville. Oh, no. singing the national anthem. Oh, no. In the I, ring. He's bad. I love how bad he is. I love his earrings. I love his tiny shirts and his big arms. And I love how confident he is. In that voice that I don't understand how anybody could really enjoy. I have no clue. I don't know either. I remember that whole song that I don't know much with him and Linda Ronstadt. My sister was a huge fan of that song. I like Linda Ronstadt. Linda Ronstadt's cool as hell. I like the song, but yeah, his part was more... It's the part that very you made fun of when you it's sang very nevely. Guess ever you just do the like na- yes, yeah. you got it nasally like it's crazy. Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan are our commentators for the evening. As we go to our first match, Johnny B. Bad versus Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll. Ooh. New doll? Because this is absolutely Kimberly Page. True doll. Yeah. This time, the true doll. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time we get the crosshair mat. Yes, it's the crosshair mat. We all know the crosshair mat. I'm talking about the ring mat. The big crosshair says WCW in the middle of it. It's yellow on probably light blue that looks gray. That's where yeah. You were talking about crosshair. And I'm thinking we were still talking about Kimberly. I'm like, what the hell did she do to her hair? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The bullet logo. Yeah, yeah. I got you. The diamond doll goes and gives a present to Heenan, and while she does that, Paige attacks Bad in the ring but then misses a clothesline, allowing Johnny to roll him up for a two-count, followed by a clothesline to send DDP over the ropes to the floor. Bad drags Paige back in and starts working the arm, but is escaped with a backdrop into a front face lock, which is then reversed by Johnny to work on the arm once again. 
back and forth with Bad always returning to the arm after DDP escapes momentarily. Page then applies a dragon sleeper, but Johnny snapmares his way out, followed by a drop kick for a two count. Bad is yanked into the turnbuckle, and DDP hits several back elbows before a hard Irish whip chest first into the corner and a back suplex. Page continues the attack with a gut buster and a vertical suplex for a two count before locking on a sleeper hold. But Johnny escapes with elbows and a back suplex. Crazy crowd stomps for that Johnny B. Bad. It's almost like people like him. They kind of do. I like him. I did. Bad with a shot to the midsection, atomic drop and a clothesline to DDP, followed by a back body drop and a flying head scissors. Johnny then hits the kiss that don't miss, sending Paige through the ropes to the floor, where Bad hits a plancha before rolling DDP back in. It's hot. The crowd's hot. It happens when you double the crowd. It gets hotter. Johnny heads to the top rope to hit a flying sunset flip for the pin and And the the win. Nice little starter with some big boys. Sounds like it. I know. Like what's what's in the what's in the bag? This little fun note afterwards has me intrigued, though. Fun note. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. <laughs> this match was put on the show instead of a advertised terrorizing versus Z-Man match. Oh my gosh! Where what? You could have had H H H versus. I love Z-Man. I could have had a Z-Man match? You could Could have had a Z-Man match. What happened? You got Johnny instead. Is he he also married to Red Tape? Does Red Tape have (laughs) a a sister? It's Green Tape. Oh, okay. They were Christmas babies. We then get Tony and Bobby, followed by Mean Gene and Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse in a suit. A real suit. On the stage, talking about the championship matches. But we then go to our second match. Flying Brian Pillman versus Lord Steven Regal with Sir William for the WCW World Television Championship. I know that last time we saw this on a pay-per-view, it was 30 minutes with Arn and Lord Steven Regal. This time they're doing the traditional 15. Pillman attacks right as the bell rings with right hands, chops and knees. Regal begs off only to be slapped. Flying Brian hits a Japanese arm drag, sending Lord Steven to the floor to regroup. But Pillman falls out, only to be hit with a European uppercut. Regal tries to slam Brian's head into the guardrail, but it's blocked and reversed before Pillman wraps Lord Steven's arm around the steel. Back in the ring, Flying Brian keeps up the arm work, even wrapping it around the ring post several times. But the momentum is stopped with an uppercut and a suplex. And uh, Steven Regal still has the leg taped up, and Pillman's going full arm, going after the arm, because he's a baby face. I think these people would learn. I mean... Especially somebody who is they just want... a heel. Yeah. <laughs> he, he learned his the error of his ways. Regal catches Pillman going for a leapfrog, taking him down with a northern line suplex for a two count. The two men start trading blows when Lord Steven lifts Brian up onto his shoulders into a Canadian backbreaker. But Pillman is able to use the top turnbuckle to push off to flip out of it before cradling Regal up for a near fall. Lord Steven grabs the leg, rolling through to slam Flying Brian to the mat, and then applies the STF as we get a five-minute call. Yeah, so many uh, holds and counters and 
counters and holds. Good shit. The good shit. More good shit. The match shit. It's a wrestling match. It's like we were watching a wrestling show and a wrestling match busted out. I think there's something that we see every time Steven Regal's in the ring is that a wrestling match busts out. Regal loses the grip on the hold, forcing him to let go. Goes for some uppercuts, only for Pillman to duck and attempt a backslide. But Steven reverses it into a modified surfboard. Yep, he's got the chin lock plus the surfboard. Back to their feet, Brian fires up with some chops, but telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Regal to go for a powerbomb, only for Pillman to counter with a hurricanrana for a two-count. Lord Steven catches Flying Brian coming off the ropes, driving him down with a rolling fireman's carry before going back to the STF. Yeah, I was like, well, what is this exactly? I'm calling it the Regal roll. <laughs> he then turns him over into another surfboard. But Pillman fights out, only to telegraph a back body drop, allowing Regal to cinch in a half crab as we get the 10-minute call. I'm loving this WCW glow up. Brian starts chopping away, but Lord Steven rolls him up with a handful of tights for a near fall. With four minutes remaining, the two men start trading blows again until Pillman hits a drop kick, but Flying Brian can't capitalize as he's too tired. Pillman tries for another drop kick, but Regal catches it turns him over for a Boston Crab, but Brian powers out as we hit two minutes. And Brian whips him off the same way Arn did in the last pay-per-view, and I was like, oh, that's a fun callback. He watched the tape. Insiguri by Pillman. Goes for a monkey flip, but Lord Steven just shoves him off and attempts a falling headbutt, but Flying Brian avoids. One minute remains as Regal heads up to the turnbuckles coming off only to be met with a drop kick by Pillman. Brian with chops, a back body drop, mounted punches, and starts running the ropes, only to be caught by Lord Steven, where they end up tumbling over the ropes to the floor with 15 seconds remaining. Pillman lays out Sir William before suplexing Regal back into the ring as time expires. Damn. Official announcement is a time limit draw. I love there's a sign in the crowd, like, right as this happens, it comes up and it says, Who booked that? (laughs) Granted, this is, like, just setting up how good it's going to feel. Like, because the match was great, but, like, how good is it going to feel when somebody gets the drop on Regal? It's going to feel great. Yep. We're building this belt, building this heel. That was the thing that was always so frustrating about Regal back in the day was he wasn't your pest heel, he wasn't your vicious heel. He was that heel that just would not let go. You know, he would take He's it to the, the last heel. second. Yeah. yeah. He he could go the time limit. He he had the moves. He had the work ability. And it just, like, people would get so close to it without actually succeeding. And it just made you want to come back that next week and watch again and again and again because you wanted his ass to fall. We go to the dressing room area with Mean Gene. And he's there with Colonel Robert Parker and Bunkhouse Buck. The Bunkhouse Buck. Boy, isn't it great that this is uh, Spring Stampede and not Bunkhouse Stampede? That's so cool. <laughs> but we still got to bring so a Bunkhouse great. into it. Mean Gene asks Parker about his other client, Steve Austin, and his match, which should be exciting. And Bunkhouse then starts talking about his daddy and how he did it. But it just dissolves into screaming of some sort. Yeah, it's just mush mouth, bad promo junk with a guy that I don't know who this man is. We're off to our third match. The Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags versus Cactus Jack and Max Payne 
in a street fight for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. It's a Chicago street fight. I was like, is this the first Chicago street fight? Or have we seen one of those before? But they call it a Chicago street fight. That's all. I know they said that in the show. That, it that's might all. be. That's I don't it. know. Yeah. Trying to remember. I guess any street fight in Chicago is a Chicago street fight. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else noticed, but the champions came out first. Foreshadowing? Mm-hmm. I'm still missyless. It's going to be that way, I guess. I should get used to it. Yeah, you should. The four men start brawling on the ramp as the challengers make their way to the ring. And Max and Sags make their way into the ring where Payne hits a vertical suplex while Nobbs hits Jack with a pool stick on the floor. Do you guys love Cactus Jack's Super Dad t-shirt? He must have just had his first kid. Sounds cool. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's got like a, just a shirt that says Super Dad on it, and it's like the Superman logo. Payne sends Jerry into the guardrail as Cactus Jack now has the pool cue, using it on Brian inside the ring. Jack clotheslines Knobs over to the floor before sending him to the guardrail. Sags works on Max with a chair and then follows up with a chair shot to Cactus Jack as well. Jack returns the favor to Jerry, sending Brian into the ring steps, while Payne drops several elbows on Sags. Knobs clotheslines Cactus Jack back into the ring from the rampway, followed by Jerry joining in with the pool stick. Brian jumps off the ramp onto Max with a double axe handle, only for Payne to retaliate with a headbutt. Sags continues to use the pool stick to clothesline Jack over to the floor, while Nobbs and Max make their way to the merchandise area, where Brian tosses a trash can onto Payne, followed by a table. Yeah, this is a, a real street fight. It's hot. The crowd is hot. We've seen these guys have a match at the last pay-per-view that was wild. Now they're going full Cactus Jack mode with bullshit on bullshit on bullshit. And by bullshit, I mean, you know, hitting each other with stuff. And uh, being violent. Going hardcore. Hardcore. Cactus Jack and Jerry start brawling into the crowd, only for Sags to hit another chair shot. But Jack gets back up to return the favor. Max body slams Knobs through a table before shoving his shirt down his throat to get a two count. I'm sure he wasn't going for the mandible claw. <laughs> Sags sends Cactus Jack over the guard railing before joining Brian to double team Payne. Tossing him through the merchandise area wall. I love that there's a merchandise thing. It's like, well, obviously nobody can buy merchandise there. It's just set up right next to the, right next to like the rampway, yeah. <laughs> like just left of the ramp. Jerry uses a table to hit Jack multiple times across the back, and then carries it over to the ramp. He uses a table to hit him. A full table. Yeah. Jack climbs up onto the ramp, hitting a net breaker on Sags. Follows with a vertical suplex. And then vertical suplexes the table across his back. I know, it's awesome. Full table. It's a full table, not a broken table. He a suplexes. Table. He takes Vertically a, suplexes the table. Onto the man. Onto sex. Yeah, Damn. it's very fun. Cactus Jack goes to make a cover. Knobs comes running over with a shovel to the head. Yeah, like a snow shovel. And then Max shows up, grabbing the shovel away and uses it on Brian, only to be low blowed. Jerry has Jack on the table, and he's ready to hit a pile driver. But the table breaks from underneath them. The boys are too big. And they just fall through. <laughs> it's rough. Wow. <laughs> it's wild out here. Sags then just shoves Cactus Jack off the ramp onto the concrete. We get another... Where he hits head 
first. Yeah, we get another cactus splat, I'm going to call it, when he just decides <laughs> to bump on the concrete for no reason outside of then. Jerry then you know, grabs it works. the snow shovel mm-hmm. and just smacks Cactus Jack across the face with it. I, I was just like, man, somebody's going to get mad. <laughs> like, it's getting rough in here. He then makes the cover for the pin and the win. He takes his head off with it, man. Post-match, Jerry hits a running table shot. Like, takes part of the broken table. Yeah, half the broken table. basically runs it right into Max's head. And it sounds bad. It sounds, it like, it's a nice crack. I think I texted you guys after watching this match. I was Mm -hmm. like, if they didn't know what CTE was back then... They should have figured it out after this match. <laughs> yeah. When Nick was like, I don't I don't really remember that match. How did it go over? Like, well, the crowd was hot. <laughs> but, you know. This match was fucking awesome. Yeah, man. This is the kind of train wreck that, like, this train wreck is what we're looking for. Like, what ECW goes on to do, like, at some point well. But this one is, like, legitimately well. It's well pretty well shot and it's pretty well laid out and it still feels crazy and we don't go into the crowd or whatever and they built it up over a couple months really yeah but i do have a sad note oh this would be the last time we ever see max Payne. you think it was that uh last headshot from the table and he's like well i guess i'm done (laughs) it's like if he felt bad about pulling homeboy's arm out he headed up north but we uh, never, we never seen really, yeah, because he never does anything up north. Yeah, he just goes there. Man, Mountain Rock didn't really do a whole lot. Man, Mountain Rock. That's like a, that's like a, Creedence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> man, yeah, man, man, Mountain Rock. I was thinking of like that's like rock paper scissor for like <laughs> hillbillies that haven't heard that or whatever. Like just like a different. It's like in a different part of the country they call it something else. Like oh, it's Rochambeau. It's like I call it rock paper scissor. It's like well, uh, you know, here in the Adirondacks we call it Man Mountain Rock. We go to the locker room and Jesse is there with Johnny B. Bad. And Johnny says he is looking to the future, and he wants a shot at the United States Championship. He wants a Muto or an Austin. We'll find out who after this. As we head off to our fourth match, the great Muda versus stunning Steve Austin with Colonel Robert Parker for the WCW United States Championship. And Muda's got his like slick like red mask thing, his, his ring gear, you know, the shiny one. Yeah. It's cool. Not usually one who experiences FOMO, but <sighs> you'll get to watch the show. I know it's really, get it's really to, good. I know you're seeing how fun Matt and I are having right now. And, uh... like, I'll just sit here and eat my sandwich <laughs> <laughs> and so, listen to the show. Uh huh. So Muda takes control with several headlocks and an ab stretch, blocks a reversal with a back elbow, and follows up with a roll up for a two count before going back to a headlock, which Austin fights to get out of. But Muda keeps it locked on until Stunning Steve hits a back suplex for a near fall. And the smart fans out there love Muda. We got multiple Muda posters. And how do you feel about Steve Austin's little five o'clock shadow? Looks nice. Rocking, rocking a nice little beard. It's all right. Yeah. Austin attempts a vertical suplex, only for Muda to reverse it into one of his own, followed by a flash elbow drop. Muda continues the attack with a shoulder block and a drop kick before going back to the headlock. 
which Stunning Steve reverses into a head scissors. But Muda escapes and begins to taunt Austin, causing him to roll out to regroup. He's got to go talk with Colonel Parker. Back in the ring, Muda begins to run the ropes, only for Colonel Parker to grab a boot, allowing Steve to deliver a high knee lift, sending Muda out to the floor, where Parker starts choking him before Austin comes off the apron with an axe handle multiple times before tossing Muda into a guardrail. Throughout this match, Bobby Heenan is letting us know that there's a, an ambulance or, or two in the back uh, for the last match, really putting over the carnage. Stunning Steve stays on the attack once back in the ring with a snapmare, knee drop, applies an ab stretch using the ropes as leverage, until the ref finally catches him and kicks the arm off, allowing Muda to hip toss out. The two men are starting to trade blows, and Muda sends Austin to the ropes and goes for a drop kick, but Steve just holds onto the ropes, causing Muda to fall to the mat. I just love that Muda's the baby face even though he's the foreign guy, which is just so uncommon at this point in time. Austin then comes off the middle rope with an elbow drop for a two count before draping him across the bottom rope where Parker gets another cheap shot in. Ah, damn you, Parker. Stunning Steve rams Muda's head first into the turnbuckle, tries again, but Muda blocks and reverses it. Muda then with a standing spin kick, back body drop, vertical suplex, and a drop kick before going up to the top turnbuckle. But he misses a missile drop kick as Austin sidesteps it. Mm. Stunning Steve then applies the Hollywood and Vine. Bind, right? Uh, it's Hollywood and Vine. Oh, I thought it was a play on words and they were saying the Hollywood and Bind. I guess I heard it wrong. Which is an inside toehold. But as Bobby says, he only makes it to Sunset and Vine. <laughs> Can't quite get it. Muda hits a stun gun on Austin. Follows up with the handspring back elbow, places Steve on the top rope, and connects with a top rope hurricanrana. Oh yeah, and Muda's all full of himself, looking pumped, does the cutthroat, and then hits that hurricanrana. Parker jumps off the apron, so Muda spin kicks him off. Yep, they send that cigar right down his stupid cowboy hat and throat. <laughs> and Austin charges at him, but Muda back body drops him over the ropes to the floor. Hell yes. And the ref calls for the bell. Hell no. As Muda has been disqualified. I know. Oh, that's right. We're still in that phase. It's it's really good, but Muda's just like, he turns and he does the right thing. And then he, it's like, oh, like he it's just a natural reaction. Yeah. So it's like, I get it. It's just the top rope thing feels so inconsistent. I'm not against it. I'm just against its feels consistency. Are you sure? I'm are, we, are you sure we're not going to see it as like the first move in the next match? I just hate the inconsistency. Well, it's a title match thing, but that's what I'm saying. The inconsistency. I mean, it was it worked in with Bill Watts in like the early '80s and stuff when that was a thing. But we're on TV now. We're on TV across the whole country. We're doing pay per view. We're hitting people in heads with shovels. We're hitting people in the head with shovels, Shane. <laughs> exactly. But don't you dare throw yeah. them over that top rope. I get it, and I know that they don't want you know. This is a way to save people, but it's just the top. We, we've been bitching about the top rope for a, a year now. A while. Post-match, Muda flies over the ropes with a plancha on top of Stunning Steve and Colonel Parker. You know what this felt like to me? This felt like a, like a G1 match. It, just, I mean, it, felt, okay. like, it felt like a, just a mid, a mid of the G1 match, like a mid-card, mid-G1 match. Like, really, really good, but like... 
I don't know. I just had got that vibe when I was watching it. Two guys having a good ass match, just doing it. We go to Ventura in the locker room, and he's with Dustin Rhodes. And the natural is going to be in a bunkhouse match later, which Jesse basically says is a street fight. But we already had a street fight. This is a bunkhouse match because one of the people in the match's last name is Rhodes, and the other one's name is Bunkhouse. Pretty much. We then go to a highlight package where Bunkhouse Bunk made a trophy presentation to Dustin by slamming it across his head multiple times. And Rhodes then says he's going to get your possum raccoon butt out of that tree. Yeah, get your possum raccoon butt out of the tree. Wow. He's from Texas, guys. You should maybe watch some Dusty promos. Dad, you got any old, you got any old VHS tapes I could run back? We then go to our fifth match, Sting versus Ravishing Rick Rude for the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship. The story behind this match was that Rude had slammed the door on Sting's head at Super Brawl 4, which we saw a few weeks ago. And then awakened him brutally. It caused the Stinger to want revenge. But the Ravishing One kept dodging the encounter until Sting would send a young, very attractive woman to get an autograph from Rude. The Ravishing One would sign one for her, but not realizing it was actually a contract for the Stinger to get a title shot. Uh, so, so fun. Isn't it so nice that like when he did the Rude Awakening to Sting, my thought was, oh my god, the next pay-per-view is going to be a Sting and Rude match. And then I was like... I can't get my hopes up because I've watched a lot of WCW at this point. And you know what? We're doing it right. Who's booking this again? Rick. Rick Flair's. My God. Fucking Flair. Flair. Jeez, my God. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Savor it while we can. Yep. Because the, the pasta uh, will be al dente soon. Yes. Fear will have many faces. <laughs> Rude takes the mic and is about to do his usual promo when Harley Race comes down to the ring to interrupt as he wants to challenge the winner of the match on the behalf of Vader. And the International World Heavyweight title is Big Gold. Yes. Just saying. Race then tries for a cheap shot on the Stinger, but he catches him in Irish Swissing to a corner where Harley flare flips over to the floor. Rude tries to take advantage of the situation, but Sting ducks a clothesline and hits a back body drop and a clothesline to send the Ravishing One over the ropes to the floor as well. And now he finally takes his robe off. Gotta get a few hits in. Why isn't Sting disqualified? Yep. Uh, because it's this the is... the first move of the match. I know, I know. That's the... We have strong feelings about this. At least the last match was good. Mm. It would have been nice if we got a different finish. At least, I think Muda sold that finish I mean, as well as he I could I understand have. you have to protect Muda. Yeah. That's why they did it. Okay. Moving forward. Mm-hmm. Sting follows out to hit a vertical suplex before rolling Rude back into the ring. The Stinger with hard Irish whip, head slam into the turnbuckle, back suplex for a two count, and continues with a body slam and comes off the ropes with multiple elbow drops. Yeah, Sting really having a ball here with this control period. Sting goes to a front face lock, which the Ravishing One finally escapes by crotching the Stinger on the top rope. 
and then clotheslining him oh, onto the sting. floor. Rude rams Sting's head into the apron and the rampway before rolling him back in, where the Ravishing One goes to work on the Stinger's back with forearm shots and a back suplex. And while I'm watching this, like, there's, you know, we get the back to, like, Matt headlocks or whatever, and you can tell the guys are talking, and I'm just like, Rude is calling this. This is too good. Like, Rude is just really, really putting Sting over here and calling a great match. Rude keeps working the back until Sting lifts the Ravishing One up for an electric chair slam. But Rude rolls through for a two count, followed by a Stinger rolling back over for a near fall as well. The Ravishing One locks on a sleeper, only to release it to start delivering right hands, which ends up waking up Sting. Just asking for more, before getting that crazy look in his eyes. So Rude tries to leave the ring, but the Stinger yanks him by the pants and hits a few atomic drops. Oh, I love when Rick Rude sells an atomic drop. Because, you know, you get the little... Yeah, the, he, does, he does like hips. the... Yeah, the, the, oh, the oh, because his whole thing is, check out this junk. He does the hip thing. Yep. You gotta sell that atomic drop. Like, uh, check out my hips, check mm, out my ass, mm-hmm. let me pout my lips for you. Yes. Sting hits multiple clotheslines. Followed by a backdrop that the Ravishing One over-rotates on. He then goes for an Irish whip, but Rude tries to fight back. Only for the Stinger to send him back to the corner he just came out of, which is where the ref is. Sting then flies in with a Stinger splash. Ref bump. That knocks both the ref and the Ravishing One down. He then applies the Scorpion Deathlock. Ah, SDL. And while he has the lock on, he tries to wake the ref up. It's so good. He's got the lock on. He's like grabbing at the ref with his free hands. It's cool. <laughs> Harley Sting's Ray- feeling himself tonight. Harley Race then comes running back down to the ring. But Sting sees him. And he begins to beat Harley down. But Vader then makes his way down to the ring. So the Stinger is having to defend himself with both men. Oh, he's got rights to clear these heels out of the ring. He eventually knocks them out of the ring. But then Rude comes in with a chop block to his knee. The Ravishing One has picked up Sting, while Nick Bockwinkle, who has been at ringside this entire time, yeah, starts berating Vader, who has grabbed a chair. Yeah, he's like, yo, dog, you do that, and um, I'm going to fine you. You can't hear it, but you know that he's holding Vader back by telling him he will be penalized. Rude then turns the Stinger over for the Rude Awakening. When Race jumps in the ring with a chair, swinging it, only for Sting to move, causing the Ravishing One to take the hit. The Stinger knocks Harley from the ring, makes the cover, for the pin, and the win. And new! Huge pop. Sting with some blood on him. I think I think old, old uh, Rick Rude had a bit of a bloody mouth. It's good. It's very good. This is like what you want out of a there's title one, match. There change. is one problem with this match. Mm, there's always a problem. Harley was a little late. Yeah. It's the only problem with the match. I mean, other than the whole DQ thing. Yeah, I love when uh, Rick does the like float over, but he's like so big that he lands on his <laughs> basically lands on his feet because he's just so tall. We then go to Tony and Bobby, and they start talking about Hulk Hogan. While Rude sells the weakest chair shot that we've ever seen on the show as he walks back to the locker room. <laughs> yeah. Because, yes, the race chair shot was the weakest chair shot. Ever. Yeah. I mean, 
it was noticeably weak. But then we go to our sixth match. Also, Tony lets us know that Ric Flair had offered Hulk Hogan a ticket uh, for when he beats up Ricky Steamboat. So we're still selling, selling the Hogan throughout the show. Just, just letting it out there. Just making sure we all know what's at stake here. We then go to our sixth match. Bunkhouse Buck with Colonel Robert Parker versus the natural Dustin Rhodes. Well, in a, a bunkhouse match. Natural. Mm-hmm. So the last time we saw Bunkhouse Buck, he was teaming with Colonel Parker all the way back as the stud stable in the AWA, episode 23. I don't remember that one. time ago. And we watched like two or three AWA shows. Just one. Just one? Just I always one. feel like we watch more than one AWA show. I guess we just had so many guys in the AWA that we've dealt Seen with over places. the years. Yeah. So, yeah. And we'll be like, oh. And they were all on the AWA show. So anytime we talk about them, we're like, we saw them all the way back in the one AWA show. And Michael Temple says, Did we only watch like three AWA shows. And then Matt says, no, we only watched one AWA show. It was like Super Card 3 or something. You're actually right there. Yeah. I got that part right. <laughs> Points. This has happened a lot that I remember. Uh, Take that, yeah. Nelson Fraser Jr. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> NFJ. Dustin runs down the ramp, leaping over the ropes to clothesline Buck. Ah, it's hot. Right hands and a clothesline to send Bunkhouse Buck to the apron, which he is then brought back into the ring with a vertical suplex for a two count. After a backdrop, Buck is punched through the ropes to the outside, where the natural falls out to continue the attack. Back in the ring, Rhodes attempts a crossbody, only for Bunkhouse Buck to duck, sending Dustin crashing out to the floor. Oh, we Bobby Heenan. Tony Schiavone, he's got one of the guys from Tennessee and one's from Texas. Tony Schiavone says there's a big difference between Texas and Tennessee. Bobby says, yeah, there's more letters in Tennessee. <laughs> God, I love the man. That's my Bobby. Mm-hmm. Colonel Parker starts choking Rhodes with his handkerchief, followed by Buck with a kendo stick across the back and head, busting the natural open. Bunkhouse Buck with a running clothesline on the ramp and takes his suspenders off to start choking Rhodes. And I just, I'm like... Dustin is the king of the deep blade. It seems like every time he blades, it's a little deeper than it should be. Maybe he's just got the, the shakes because he's like, oh, I'm about to cut myself. They make it back into the ring where the natural starts swinging wildly but doesn't connect with anything. Buck with a body slam and begins to work the knee by slamming it on the apron and around the ring post. But Dustin fights back, kicking Bunkhouse Buck down on the floor. Reaching into his back pocket and tossing powder into Buck's face. Oh, no. Bunkhouse Buck then takes his belt off and starts whipping Rhodes. Kicks him in the midsection, <sighs> all while Colonel Parker is getting a good laugh at it. Yeah, he's trying to get the other's desperate rights, but it's not enough for uh, those those stinging bell sh- er, belt shots. Buck charges into the corner, but he misses a big boot as Dustin moves to avoid and lays it in with big right hands. The natural then takes his belt off, wraps it around his fist to continue the onslaught to bust Bunkhouse Buck. It's hard to say. Open as well. Rhodes then takes his boot off, leaping off the middle rope, driving the boot into Buck's face before ripping his shirt off and starts whipping his back with the belt. We got a double blade! Dustin with the flip-flop fly, followed by a clothesline to send Bunkhouse Buck over the ropes to the floor. Buck then reaches into his pocket before rolling back into the ring 
and goes for a roundhouse right, only for the natural to duck and hit an atomic drop. Mounted punches, running clothesline, and a bulldog by Rhodes. Parker then jumps up on the apron, so Dustin vertical suplexes him into the ring and starts whipping him with the belt. Oh, you got to. After Colonel Parker's toss to the floor, Bunkhouse Bucks sneaks up behind for a roll-up for a two-count. I was scared. The two start trading punches with Rhodes getting the advantage, goes for an Irish whip which is reversed, but gets a big boot up on a charging buck. Oh, there's a part here where Dustin is just holding Bunkhouse Buck up by his hair. He's like, oh, you know it's a blood feud when you're pulling, pulling the hair of a bloody man. Buck ends up falling across the ropes, so Parker is able to hand him some brass knuckles. Ah, no. And as Bunkhouse Buck turns around, he clobbers the natural for the pin and, and the win. Wild. A heel. I didn't expect the heel to win. I didn't expect Bunkhouse Buck to pull out the win for some reason. Because maybe I just don't know who Bunkhouse Buck is. He was that guy. Yeah, I know. I was a surprise. Did you think he was going to win? I thought Dustin was going to get his. There, he showed the package where he got whipped and stuff. I thought he was going to get... But, I mean, I like this in better. Keep the feud going. Keep it going. Ventura is then in the locker room with Rick Rude. And the ravishing one says... Turns out he's pissed. <laughs> he did not need any help with Sting. True. Vader then shows up, and the rest of the locker room, including Jerry Sags in a towel... Yeah, Jerry Sags letting it all hang out with his fat little body and his... Really worried that we were about to see little tags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. He's like holding the towel with one hand, and like pulling. He's like, Jerry, we just maybe we didn't need you for this. There's other guys here. But there's time to separate the two, man. Mm-hmm. It was just like, please, Jerry, go yeah. away. And uh, Rhodes, I mean, Rhodes got that that bloody nose, so it adds adds to this. It's really nice. Tony then sends us to a highlight package, and we see the boss ripping his way out of the handcuffs at Super Brawl Four and hitting Vader with his nightstick. We then go to our seventh match. The Boss versus Vader. Wait a second. The Boss with a nightstick. Versus Vader. <laughs> that's his That's his manager. With Harley Race. So Boss runs back up the ramp, only to be met by clubbing blows from Vader, and Harley then holds the Boss, but Vader misses as Boss moves and splashes Race by accident. Boss clotheslines Vader into the ring, delivering right hands and a big boot to stagger Vader. And Bobby lets us says, why does WCW even bother setting up a ring? And I just laughed and I just said, just wait, Bobby. Just wait until like a wait until a few like a few years from now, and you'll wish you didn't even say it. <laughs> Boss then follows with an uppercut that sends Vader back out to the ramp. Vader starts fighting back to slow the momentum and hits a short arm clothesline before slamming their boss over the ropes back into the ring. Vader then runs down the ramp and leaps over the ropes for his splash. Mm. But the boss gets his knees up, followed by some elbow drops and a clothesline to send Vader to the floor. The slow-mo 360 clothesline. Vader, I've never seen a 360 clothesline move so slowly. I know it's big. he's bigger, so it looks slower, but come on. The boss follows out to send Vader over the guard railing into the crowd, followed by a not-so-rubber band slam. Mm, no. Back in the ring, the boss splashes Vader in the corner, and a body slam. But Vader comes back with some stiff shots and a back body drop that almost kills the boss as he goes over the top rope to the floor. Mm, yeah. Damn. Scary. 
So he's not disqualified there, though, though, right? Nope. No. Catch. Okay. But like, sure. yeah, I was like, he could have killed the man. I don't, it was really touch and go. I was like, disqualification yeah. for almost, almost murder. murder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as if the shoot rights weren't uh, mean enough. <laughs> he almost threw old um, boss. I was, I couldn't think of his real name. That's Shane's job. Harley with a few stomps to join the fun while we see that Vader is bleeding from the eye. Vader brings Boss back in the hard way with a vertical suplex, followed by a splash in the middle of the ring for a two count. Can you imagine being in a match with Vader and you look up and he's bleeding from the eye and you're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, as if tomorrow wasn't already going to be sore. More stiff shots in the corner, only for Boss to retaliate with some right hands of his own. Takes Vader down with a back suplex and a running clothesline. The boss then charges into a corner, only to receive a big boot and a clothesline, followed by Vader making his way to the second rope for a Vader bomb. But the boss is up to his feet, and he slams Vader down to the mat. Boss then sits Vader up on the ropes, connecting with a second rope DDT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure... For a two count. I wasn't sure if it was a DDT or like a weird snap suplex. I was like, oh, you know, he got him off there. It's working with uh, Vader. You, It's not going to always be the crispiest when you're doing the big stuff. The boss then leaps off the middle rope with a crossbody. Goes for another cover, but Vader gets an arm onto the ropes to break the count. Boss decides another middle rope crossbody is the way to go. But Vader catches him this time, hitting a power slam. <sighs> Followed by a Vader bomb for the pin. And no, the boss kicks out. Vader then goes up to the top rope. I know, I was like, he's going to do the splash again. For no. a Vader salt. Oh my gosh. For the pin and the win. I know. And then as soon as this match is over, my note says, it was good. This show is good. <laughs> Post-match, Race grabs the nightstick and handcuffs. And looks to put them on the boss. No, boss hits Harley Race with the nightstick as well as Vader. No, Race grabs oh, the nightstick okay. and handcuffs and looks to put them on the boss. But the boss grabs them away and starts beating Race and Vader. Until Nick Bockwinkle comes into the ring to stop him. Good grief, Bockwinkle. Just step back already. <laughs> we got Bach in the cut. The Ric Flair wants a wants a man of action uh, as the president. Get into a match and get back in there where you belong. Apparently, we then go to Mean Gene on the stage where I he s- hypes up the hotline. I smell your hate of Jack Tunney bleeding through. <laughs> <laughs> it's yep. like it's like it's Bachwinkle. Leave him alone. And then Tony sends it to the back, and Ventura's in the locker room with Bachwinkle and the boss. Nick tells the boss that he represents a lot of good people, and they do things a certain way. The nightstick is not one of them, so he's taking taking it away from you. And the cuffs. I'm taking the handcuffs away as well, because you are no longer the boss. It's like he took away his his cuffs and nightstick like he's a bad kid, and took away his name. Do I smell a heel turn? <laughs> I was like, it's like you're you're punishing him like. A small child. It's very funny. No, now he's going to be the big Bach man. Oh, there you go. The big Bach man. And I love that Jesse uh, calls it a wand. <laughs> so the real story is actually that the WWF had filed a lawsuit basically saying that the boss and 
Big Boss Man. So it begins. We're too close. Yeah. So he'll have a new name the next time we see him. Ray Trailer. Uh, here we go. I knew that. <laughs> but I knew that you knew it more than I did. <laughs> Took me a second, but it was there. Yeah. So then we head off to our eighth match. Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat, versus Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Uh, woo. For the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Michael Buffer says those magic words, and we are ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Let's get ready to rumble. Uh, the, uh, I love, did you know Dragon's coming out full, full force? He's got dragon buddies that he walks through. He's got his uh, little dragon lizard wings. and he, we, Has he got little dragon with him this time? No little dragon with him. Red tape stayed at home. Red tape stayed at home. And, little uh, dragon stayed at home. Uh-huh. The, yeah. And he's got the, the torch. We're, we're back to breathing fire, baby. You got to. It's big shit. So the two men trade headlocks, arm drags, head scissors, until Flair backs Ricky into the corner and shoves him only for the dragon to respond with multiple hard slaps across the face. Steamboat connects with a gorilla press slam and a pair of flying head scissors and a pair of drop kicks to send Nate over the ropes to the floor. And Tony's doing his job here. He's letting us know that Ricky Steamboat beat Ric Flair for the TV belt in the 70s. This guy's been at it for a long time. After rolling the Nature Boy back in the ring, Ricky comes off the top rope with an overhand chop for a two count, which causes Flair to roll out. To regroup. And this might be the best steamboat gear in a long time. He looks so good. Nate yanks the dragon down by his hair several times and starts delivering chops, only for Steamboat to fire right back with chops himself. Ricky locks on a headlock with the nature boy trying to escape, but the dragon just holds on until Flair dumps Steamboat over the ropes, where he skins the cat and then cradles up Nate for a near fall. Back to the headlock when the nature boy attempts an atomic drop, only for Ricky to avoid. So he takes Flair back down with a drop toe hold and right back to the headlock, which Nate escapes again with shoulder blocks to the corner. I love that a lot of matches were like, oh, they just keep going to the headlock. They just keep going to the headlock. But it's like, oh, no, it works when the guys are Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. They can do whatever they want because they just got it like that. The dragon with a back body drop attempts a drop kick, only for the nature boy to avoid it as Steamboat crashes to the canvas. Flair starts working over Ricky with right hands, chops, a snapmare, and multiple rolling knee drops for several two counts. Back elbow and more pin attempts, but still only two counts for Nature. And a chop fest breaks out between them when the nature boy goes for a crossbody that ends up sending both men to the floor. Flair goes for a pile driver on the floor, but the dragon reverses it into a back body drop and starts chopping away and goes for a splash, only for Nate to move, sending Steamboat chest first into the guardrail. Back in the ring, the Nature Boy goes to the top turnbuckle, only for Ricky to meet him up there to bring him in with a superplex for a near fall. The plane crash, guys, is back. The dragon with a hard Irish whip, sending Flair flipping out to the apron, where Steamboat chops him down to the floor, followed by a top rope judo chop to the head. Judo chop. After rolling back in the ring, Nate begs off into a corner, with Ricky getting in some mounted punches and several chops, which gives us the Flair flop, 
as they reach 20 minutes into the match. You know what this is? This is wrestling. The dragon makes the cover, but the nature boy gets a boot on the ropes and then yanks Steamboat through the ropes to the floor, only for Ricky to quickly recover to be back on the apron, coming in with a sunset flip, which Nate prevents from going over by staying up and punching down. The nature boy goes for another rolling knee drop, but the dragon catches it and turns Flair over, locking on a figure four in the middle of the ring. Earlier with that first uh, knee drop, Bobby Heenan with his... uh... When he nails it on Seamboat's head. He says that he smells pineapple juice. <laughs> Nate inches his way towards the ropes, only for Steamboat to pull them back to center several times mm. until the Nature Boy rakes the eyes, causing Ricky to roll out to the floor to regroup. Flair with a vertical suplex on the dragon to bring him into the ring, but his leg gives, so Steamboat lands on top for the pin. And no, Nate kicks out. Nature Boy with a snapmare into a headlock, which Ricky counters into a head scissors, which is countered into a jackknife pin attempt. But the dragon bridges out and into a backside pin for a two count, followed by an inside cradle <laughs> for a near fall as well. My gosh. Another chop fest breaks out, which Nate rolls out to the ramp. So Steamboat attempts to suplex him back into the ring, only for the Nature Boy to block and reverse. But Ricky floats over and chops Flair back into the ring. Another hard Irish whip, another Flair flip, but this time to the floor. Done got it in him. The dragon comes off the apron with a judo chop, but Nate gets a boot up into the chest. The two men are trading blows on the apron with Steamboat knocking the Nature Boy down and goes up top to come off with a flying crossbody for a near fall. Flair ducks a clothesline and delivers one of his own. Goes up top, but Ricky is up to press slamming back to the mat. The dragon then heads up, coming off with a splash. Huge splash. But Nature moves in time. My gosh. The Nature Boy follows up by going to the figure four only for Steamboat to block it momentarily until Flair is able to kick it, Ricky, to fully lock it in. I know. I was ready for him. I wanted him to hit the crossbody. Ricky got a mouthful of Matt. The dragon is finally able to reach the ropes to break the hole, but Nate stays on the attack with a snapmare and goes right back to the figure four, only for Steamboat to cradle him up for the pin and no, Nature Boy kicks out at the 30-minute mark. Ricky catches Flair going for an arm drag, countering it into another backslide for two. Sets Nate up on the top before driving him down with a top rope superplex. But the impact takes it out of both of them. Oh yeah, Ricky sells the sells his head and Ric Flair flat on back. Uh, I mean, this is the second superplex in the match. It's big shit. The dragon finally rolls over for the cover for a near fall. I know, the ref starts the double count and Ricky gets over there and I'm just like, ah, I love wrestling. (laughs) Once they're back to their feet, Steamboat sends the nature boy to the ropes where they run into the ref, knocking him out of the ring. Ref bump. (sighs) While Ricky goes for an O'Connor roll. And once the ref is back in, it only gets a two count. I know, my heart was just dropped. The dragon then flips out of an atomic drop attempt, 
locking on the double wing submission, which is how Steamboat won the belt five years ago. I know. And the commentary letting us doing the job and telling us. Or episode 29, if you want to go back and listen. Oh, beautiful. You should uh, definitely watch that. Steamboat takes Flair over and bridges as the ref makes the count for the pin and the win. Yes! The people go wild. But... Record scratch. The ref counted a double pin. Yeah, second ref comes in and they're talked. Ricky's confused. And the match is declared a draw. And it was a true double pin, even though you, while you're watching it, you don't even think about it. You're like, he won. And then I'm like, no, I know what's going on because I know both the shoulders were down. Yes, both their shoulders were down. No, dis- no disputing it. Ricky freaks out at the announcement as Pyro goes off. Mm. Nick Bockwinkle then joins Tony and Bobby at ringside to explain the situation. And he says that the dragon has to win the belt. And since it was declared a draw, the nature boy keeps the belt. Tradition says. At least until he can talk to the board of directors. Yeah, sure, Nikki. Which Nick would, and he would vacate the title Ooh. on an upcoming WCW Saturday night. Well, I didn't know that. Leading us to a rematch. Oh my gosh. Which we'll see in a couple of weeks. I'm so hmm. excited. I did not know that. I was just like, okay, well... We do either. My thought was like, I get to do. We get to do this again, maybe in a cage or something. Were you worried I, this was going to be the very last Steamboat match you'd ever get to watch? I thought. Him and Flair? Yes, I thought that he was going to have to go home to Red Tape, a little boat. <laughs> I mean, it's still a couple weeks away. You never know. He's, I know. He's left quicker. <laughs> Don't scare me. <laughs> he was like, "What is going on?" But Shivani has just had enough of of the brain. <laughs> yes, he has. And he says their goodbyes before the credits roll. Uh, what's up, WCW? The fuck is up? I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Spring Stampede 1994? I don't know what the best WCW show we've watched is, but I know that this is in contention. And my thought was, after these last two WCW shows we watched, I was like, who's booking? It's like, I know that it's changed. Who is it? I didn't look it up. Matt would have the answer. Let me know that it's Flair. And now I'm just like, why hasn't Flair just had the book for the last 10 years? Like, at least the last five of, you know, the JCP to WCW thing. We could have eliminated so many headaches. I'll tell you the last time he had it was in 1989. Oh, no shit? When we had had three, the best Ric Flair year of all time, where he had three trilogies, a Steamboat trilogy, a funk trilogy and was it uh, St- yeah Sting three steamboats three, and two funks I thought okay three steamboats two funks yeah but yeah eighty nine and he had incredible matches with Luger and Sting that year hmm. fuck me it's like he might know what he's doing or something yeah or something my God holy shit Ric Flair if we didn't or if I didn't already think you were the best these last two shows have just really cemented that but don't you worry Rick an orange goblin is on the horizon. Um, this is yeah. It's proof that money is evil, and that uh, like there's no way that con- no Hogan and continuing to book shows this good would not grow the product. But you know what's really easy when you have a lot of money? Doing the fucking easy thing. I'm yeah. so upset about. Because you know what happened on their last show? They had a good show, mm-hmm. and then on this one, they the had a great show show. after. They had a great show, but they also grew 
almost 6,000 viewers because they had a good show. A good show, and they also had it in a a good wrestling town on top of that, which was smart to go from a good show to a good town and bringing in Muda to a town where, like, they know who Muda is. Like, people will buy a ticket just to see Muda in Chicago. We know that. We heard them. We saw the signs. Literally, what I wrote down for my overall thoughts was, what's the worst match on this show? When you ask that question, you have a contender for one of the best shows you've ever watched. <laughs> yeah. Flair has taken over the booking. Everything builds. Everything moves. We've now gotten two quality shows in 1994. Yeah. I would say a, like a really quality show and a perfect show. I'm not Ish, gonna go not perfect, perfect, but I'm it's not gonna go perfect. I, but, I still, I probably actually have more issues with this show than I did Super Brawl, because my really my only issue with Super Brawl was just that the first half of the show shouldn't have been on pay per view. That's really my only complaint. And about do we that have show. a reason for that? Our six man tag, which was electric. Exactly. This show, there's some stuff in in some of the matches that I'm like, I wish they wouldn't have done that. Yeah. So it's a little bit more nitpicky. But overall, everything is good. Everything and is good. The bon- Johnny B. Bad Diamond Dallas page match is good. Yeah. Everybody, everybody feels... You can tell that everybody is more excited to be there and brings the fucking... Brings the energy and... Like, everybody is present and, like, working hard to Ooh, have, like... To crowd. try to have the best match they can have on a show. You also have a double the crowd, so of course they're more excited. They're going to get paid more, and, like, every match, it's just so good. Shane, have we convinced you that you need to go watch this show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you... I mean, you wouldn't even have had to say anything. The fact that I've got Austin and Muda on there in a match together that I've never seen against each other, it's... And Sting and Rude? It's must. So good. Sting and Rude is really good. Sting and Rude is really good, and Sting gets the title. How long have, like... Sting should have had the title the whole time Rick was gone, basically. Like, Ric Flair. He should have had it at least... What were they doing? That... Leaving it on the heel in Vader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love Vader having it, but Vader's gonna... I guess Vader's kind of been here for a while. He doesn't feel like... Because for a while there, he was here and then back to Japan. And But it seems like he's been pretty solidly in WCW for a bit now. But that probably helps that Ric Flair's there. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? What are some moments that you want to see, Shane, that we talked about? Um, I want to see the, the entire Austin Muda. I gotta see this next Flair and Steamboat match. Vader and the Boss was good. I'm not gonna lie. Vader and the boss is good. I literally think my favorite match is the Cactus Jack Max Payne match. It was, it was like it was. It was so brutal, and just those bumps that yeah, Cact- like I literally was just like they hurt to watch. Mouth on the floor, like yeah. what the heck is going on? Bunkhouse and Dustin was good. Vader and Boss are the. Is it, was good, it was good. It was good. That might be Boss's best match that he's ever really? had. I, I think that match is great. And it's a great match. And I mean... For, it's a great, like, you know, like, what do you call it? The co-main event or whatever? It's not a main event, but, you know, it's a it's the last second-to-last match, I guess, is what you call it. I don't know. Yeah. 
Don't don't hand wave the boss match just because you don't like it. No, it's it was good. a really good match. Yeah, there's nothing really hand waveable here. Wait, I see this dark match. Danny Bonaducci. <laughs> Seriously? Like the guy? Yeah. There's a versus who? Uh, versus who? Versus. Yeah, it was a celebrity match. Christopher, who's Christopher Knight? Brady Bunch. Yeah. Oh my Brady. God. I do not know his real name. You had the Partridge versus the Bradys? That was a a match? Yeah, it was a dark match on the show. That's crazy. Had had the old celebrity match. Oh my gosh, that's wild. And then Pat Pat Tanaka and Aito versus the Sullivans. All right, that was the other dark match. Just just looking. Just looking at the card, thinking about how good the show was. So Pat Tanaka, I guess he's done with ECW? Uh, Who knows? I mean, um, Kevin Sullivan's Kevin in Sullivan's WCW too. now too, so yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. Back. I don't, I don't think, I don't think if Paul asked him and they were had the time, I'm sure they'd probably do it. Sure, they would. How about most disappointing? I mean, it was kind of a bummer that it was a double countout, Me. but yeah, but but <laughs> but, but not watching the show. I have no problem with the finish of the last match because it means more. Flair and Steamboat, and the and the finish made sense. Oh, I had no problem with the Flair Steamboat thing. Yeah, I, I just always like literally it my biggest issue, and it's just we we talked about it while the match was going. Like literally, the Austin Muda the is a disqualification by sending someone over the rope. Yeah, and then the first move. Yes, in the next match is sending someone over the rope. But it's a title match thing, right? The top rope. No, it's oh, any match. Okay. I'd say they're both talented. Yeah. You're right. We, we've talked about it a million times, but you're right. Maybe it's it. just it's all a United for States thing and not a world or an international thing. Who knows? Uh, also, we haven't <laughs> even talked about Regal and Pillman, which was also great. <laughs> like, I mean, my only other complaint was that Harley was late on getting into the ring with his chair shot. Plus, it was the weakest chair shot ever. He's an old man. Which, so it's I... time to start yeah. backing him out of the So I gave him... You know, He's out there taking bumps. Yeah, still, Harley gets it, in. It still did the job. Harley was like um, eight-time champion. JCP eight, like, you know, stalwart. The whole thing still did its job, but it just took him forever to get in the ring. Because, like, literally, Rude has Sting in the Rude Awakening. He, like, turns him over. Like, it's like the slowest turnover. And he's just, like, standing there holding him, holding him, holding him. Like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he was, like, Hurry the fuck up, Harley! <laughs> I would say it the like one thing that kind of helps that even though it was too long. It's like, well, at least Rude had like a visual bloody mouth, so you're like, oh well, he, at least he's beaten beaten up, so he's a little slower. But I mean, you're totally correct in that it took a little, took a little while. Harley missed his cue. How about best performer of the night? I don't know, man. Everyone was great. I gotta give it to Cactus Jack for those two. The bumps, just insane bumps. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a cop out to always just do Ric Flair, but I think that uh, I'm gonna give it to Steamboat because sometimes you get Steamboat where he's going through the motions, and we got we got a top tier Steamboat with the fire. Uh, we get some fire out of him in frustration, yelling. He yells at Ric Flair in the match, and so I'm gonna give it to the boat because we don't see him enough, and he's one of my favorites. And he also brought the brought the. I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna give a uh, small honorable mention to Tony Schiavone for his history lessons that he was giving during the main event. So good, nice. Bringing bringing you know the 
television title championship win in the seventies. He talked about the Chi Town Rumble. Yeah, he he, win he hit the, all the, the chicken wing all the cues. submission. So he hit all those points that brought you into that match, knowing the history of it. And so. like him and Shavon or him and Shawnee and Heenan. Heenan were great on the last show, and they're just they're, they're like this one they leveled up, just like the, this show leveled up. Like they're just doing better work together on a better show. Tony's interactions with him and the starting to do the camera on the announce table every once in a while like at the right time is yeah. just really good i don't know if they have like a new like director for these or something but shows are looking good and professional and i'm just Much so sad giving him some you know camera advice yeah, too. i'm just getting so sad knowing what's in the hopper how about most surprising Bunkhouse. I, I wasn't ready for Bunkhouse Buck to win. I also wasn't ready for that match to be as as entertaining as it was. I was like, oh okay. And then we got a double double juice grudge match. I'm gonna go back to the Cactus Jack bumps because like the shoving him off the ramp. That's his favorite thing. I literally for a while know. now. The ramp he, they he never should have put in just to hit on his head, head first. Yeah, he meant to do a back back splat back like he did in the last match they had together. But then. The shovel shot. It so, hurt. It hurt like, to look at. Like nowadays, when someone's laying on the mat or the ground or whatever, they hit the top of the chair or whatever against the floor. Uh-huh. And, and like, so it looks like miss, it hits yeah, their head, yeah. but it doesn't actually. This literally was shovel splat yeah, and across then, the head. And then on the ramp, it basically does that, zooms up, or like the camera pans to the mat, and Max Payne takes half of a table straight to the head. Like, straight to the head. I forgot about the vertical <laughs> suplexing of, of the table. table. Yeah. That was such a cool spot. It's crazy we watch that uh, ECW show and we're like, okay, yeah, like it's ECW. And then we see maybe like a, the best possible ECW brawl like a sh- two shows later. <laughs> After, yeah, it's like the who would have expected Max Payne and Cactus Jack to have a multi-match feud that delivers both times? Just because Max Payne, you're like, okay, Whatever. Max Payne takes him to fucking Suplex City, and then we get fucking everybody takes a piece of garbage to the head. Making their way to the ring! It's trivia time. This week. AWA Supercard 3. <laughs> maybe oh yeah who knows wouldn't this that be week, wouldn't that be a motherfucker <laughs> this week the category is pay per feud we're back and it's time to play the feud let's have it so I will list the matches of a show you guess the name and year of that show points are based on when you answer five points for the first match Decreasing one point for each match given. Heard. So the first match is Mr. Saito and the Great Muda versus Victor Zengiev and Salman Hashkamigov in a tournament semifinal. I don't know the years. Otherwise, I'd make a guess. I guess just give me. Give us the second one. Chain and I are just like glazed over. In a tournament semifinal. No, I don't know. Give us a, a second one. Yeah. Second match? Yeah. Lex Luger versus Stan Hansen in a Texas Lariat match 
for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. I don't know the year, so I'm just going to make a random guess and do like WCW New Japan Super Show 291. <laughs> that is incorrect. I figured it was. I don't know the year or the number of the match, but I was like, it's, it's got to be one of those shows. Fuck. I'm going to... And Take I think a guess, or I, you want another match? I kind of have an idea, but I'll take another match just to be safe. I have a better idea now that I've guessed. Third match for three points. Doom versus Arn Anderson and Barry Windham in a street fight mm-hmm. for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. Doom. All right, let's say... Semi-final. When the hell was there a tournament semifinal? Zangief. Why is that name stuck in my head? I, I have an idea what it is, but I don't know the year or the name of the show. But after after that second match, I was like, oh my gosh, Mr. Michael Temple. Yeah, the second match... I still probably wouldn't get it. I kind of, sort of... But I could name the name of the show. I Let's don't know if I could do... Another match? Starcade 90. Starcade 1990 is correct. Ah, it's Battle Bowl. It's RK90, no, right? It's, it's not. not. Battle Bowl. Okay. Okay, well, I still had that wrong. I thought it was one of the Starcade Battle Bowls. The other so, two matches are the Steiner Brothers versus the Great Muda and Mr. Saito in the Pat O'Connor Memorial International Cup Tag Team Tournament well, this Final. Was show good? It sounds good. We enjoyed it. Yeah, the uh I think until the main event, which was <laughs> Sting Versus the Black Scorpion yeah. in a steel cage match for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship with Dick the Bruiser as a special guest referee. Yeah, Ric Flair trying not to be Ric Flair. Yeah. yeah. That was some steaming shit in that yeah. match. <laughs> the, um, yeah, the year after, like right after uh, Ric Flair had his best year in wrestling, he gets Black Scorpion. On the last WCW show, I had a note in the middle of the show, basically, where I was like, where's my boy Ron Simmons? We saw him at Battle Bowl. It's been a while. Where's Ron Simmons? I like Ron Simmons. Yeah, it's been a little bit, hasn't it? Where's my Ron Simmons versus Vader match? That sounds good. They're both heels. I don't care. Turn him baby. He's been a baby before. To the East Coast side. <laughs> yeah. I don't actually know where he is. Yeah. But, you know, I was just thinking, I was like, where's where's my, my Ron? I don't know where he's at, but I know where he's going. Yeah. Next week, when worlds collide, ECW show back in Philly. Yay, mm. Philly. Yeah, we're going to eat a whole cheesecake on air. We're probably not going to do that. That sounds rough. I mean... I mean, I'm, I'm just making a joke here. But, uh, yeah, Worlds Collide. I have no idea what the show has to hold because I'd imagine a Terry Funk match with maybe like a Shane Douglas. That sounds nice. That might be on there. Yeah, who knows? With Amy and ECW. I mean, any honest, of these shows I, sometimes you're like, oh, well, they fucked up. To be honest, I don't even know what's yeah. on the show. I think I have an idea. I think a certain shows up. I'm raising four fingers. Okay. But the music from this week's show is Waiting for the Sun by Bill Lizengang and Flair One. So we must play Spotch Zarathustra. You never get tired. Like, that's got to be the best way to end a show is with Spotch. Because, you know, you got a Ric Flair match. And 
do you know you didn't watch a Hulk Hogan match? Very you didn't true. get real American. That's, yeah. cool. that's pretty nice. And that's by Strauss. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, please email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com. Or you can always find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. Watch Spring Stampede 1994. Do it for yourself. It's good. Shane will know in due time. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. Laters.